Welcome back once again to the Student Pages podcast. I am Grace Sanders, your resident host, and today I am joined by actress, voice actress, Stephanie Panicello. Stephanie, you are looking absolutely lovely today. I actually have my my Street Fighter t-shirt on right now Ah. in spirit of today. I like it though. You're channeling the video game side. <laughs> channeling the video game side. Absolutely. I guess we can just jump right into it. Now, you, Stephanie, are an incredible, mostly gaming voice actress. And now voice acting is a little bit different to regular acting. We've had previous voice actor Jen Cohen of Overwatch on the show. What is motion capture for those of you who don't know? So motion capture is similar to, so when you watch the movie, like let's say Avatar, not the last airbender though that's amazing (laughs) but you're talking like avatar we're talking planet of the apes where you wear that suit and it's got these different markers and points on it and you wear a face camera that also is picking up movement in the face so when you look at that some people don't realize what that is is there'll be little markers on our faces and on our bodies and those kind of act as a skeleton we'll say so they will place that skeleton And then they'll place over top of it, they will place the image of a character, whatever it is, so that when we move, the character will also move in that motion. So that's what motion capture is like in a short array. (laughs) So I I get it now you mentioned it, but to me, it's just people in green suits covered with ping pong balls. Are they actually ping pong balls or are they something far more high tech than that? Far more high tech and far (laughs) smaller. (laughs) They're really, really small. They actually have a reflective tape that is on it that if you actually see a volume is is the room that we're in, which is just like a huge padded room. It has all these different cameras. So there could be, you know, hundreds, thousands of cameras that are picking up all of that data and information. And so that ball is actually reflecting so they can pick up all that information. So interesting. I was just thinking, I was like, oh, we can't, we can't create a low end one with, with a morph suit and, and some other ping pong balls as well. Then if we really tried. <laughs> You could attempt maybe it's like a green screen situation, but I don't think you could attempt a full motion capture. Although as technology grows, I feel like there is some like more mobile type of mocap kind of situations. Moving on from ping pong balls as though as interesting as they are, because I will get stuck on them forever. I wanted to get to talk to you a little bit more about your journey into voice acting as uh, obviously it's this smaller subset of acting itself. And I just wanted to get to know a little bit more about your your journey into this and how you've specifically trained for voice acting. Voiceover specific, so not motion capture side. So voiceover specific, it's really interesting because you can translate on camera into voiceover. However, on camera, you have a lot of nuances that you will show with your face or through your body movement that in voiceover, you have to be very aware that, so like when you raise an eyebrow, you have to hear the raising of an eyebrow, right? And so you you tend to have to have a lot of nuances that you want to express really well. Now we are, there's also technicalities as well. So you do have to understand, you know, mic placement and where to place yourself on the mic and, you know, whether something is a pop filter and what a pop filter is. And there's like certain things like that, that you do. I did have to like learn and understand. I was lucky enough to Actually, one, I did a lot of reading, (laughs) so to understand all of it. Two, I had worked on the production side of it. So I was on the other side of the glass so that I could see 
everybody that were like all the pros. So when I was doing it, I was kind of learning by seeing and doing and reading all the different aspects is the way that I personally learned. And how does that like translate into motion capture as well? Yeah. So obviously you want to still have all of those nuances that you've learned, right? So all of the training that you do vocally to understand how to scream and understand how to carry a voice for, you know, some people are like, oh, I can do X, Y, and Z voice, you know, but can you hold that voice for four hours, you know? (laughs) And so that's where the difference comes into play. So with that, so now that translates then into motion capture because motion capture sessions, we're going to do like eight hour days, right? So if you can't do something for four hours and you clearly can't do it for eight, you know, now with motion capture, that's going to be the most, I feel like that's the one that translates the most as like an on-camera would be. So we really are just doing the same thing we would do as an on-camera shoot would be in, you know, in live action. However, there is, you know, extra equipment that is on us that we have to be spatially aware of. Since you do have a face cam, if you're having a very intimate you know, kind of scene with another actor, i.e. the one that I had in Resident Evil 2 with Sherry's character. (laughs) That is one where, you know, both of us had to look at each other and, you know, I had to be carrying her and we had to like be aware of the camera that is like also hitting here and also being like emotional and all that stuff. So, so it does translate into it. It's just a different understanding of, and you do have to be much more physical. There's a lot of physicality within motion capture. So I personally did, you know, stunt training and weapons training, you know, firearms, like all that stuff is stuff that I kind of had to understand and know. But if I didn't have the voiceover side of it, I don't know if, you know, it would be an easy transition for somebody who's like straight from on camera side. So what I'm hearing is motion capture is incredibly both cool and dangerous. (laughs) Weapons, (laughs) firearms, flamethrower, chuck it in, why not? Let's hope those ping pong balls are not flammable. (laughs) I mean, none of it's real. There are all props, to be fair. There are all props, but that doesn't mean that like some of our props aren't heavy. You know what I mean? Like some of those are legit, you know, like, you know, like firearms props or some of them are, you know, like swords. And yes, we do have to be very, very spatially aware to not hurt one another. But there's obviously like you kind of learn that through training, like how much space you want to leave for each other and all that. Just to go back and touch on uh, Resident Evil there, you are famous for voicing the character Claire Redfield in Resident Evil. How does it feel to have like such a such a passion project in such a huge game? I mean, I love it. I feel I honestly feel blessed. This is I'm going now on my third time playing Claire Redfield. And so I just keep getting a chance to reprise her role. And it is such an iconic franchise and it is such an iconic character that it's really interesting how it's been able to live on past even like the confines of the game, you know? So I have truly loved it. It has been such an experience. Uh, She's such a wonderful character too. She's got so many dimensions that I'm so glad, you know, I was able to kind of partake in and give her, you know? So, so definitely, definitely very, very blessed for that. So do you feel a particular kind of affinity with, with Claire itself or the game? I definitely do. I mean, there were not a lot of games, you know, when it, when the original first came out that had female protagonists in it. And so for me, I think this was the 
second game that I had personally seen that had a female as a lead. So when I saw this role, it was a big deal to me because I remember what it felt like for me to see that. And so that's why it was a really big deal for me also to take this character and make sure that she had all these different interesting layers and that she wasn't just like another really sexy female character you know like she was one that you could respect that you were like oh my gosh what a badass like oh my gosh she's got a good heart like oh she's super capable like all the different things i love that you want a character that passes the uh betcha del test i think i think she she does she doesn't talk about uh what is it she doesn't talk about boys she only talks about saving people. <laughs> she like talks about her family. <laughs> so, yeah. You see, you have a, an upcoming uh, Resident Evil feature film, Death Island. How do you feel about making the transition from a game to the silver screen? So the really cool part about Resident Evil specifically is that, so I did start with her in Resident Evil 2 as the video game. Then I got to move into a Netflix series so I got to see, you know, in like a television form, you know, and that was a really neat transition and really cool. So now to move on now into film, you know, and having theatrical releases, I mean, that's a huge deal. Just, you know, as a as an actor, just for myself, like it's a really, it's a really beautiful thing to see that I've been able to grow a character and develop it, you know, from her origins but also even for me, this is, I would say my first protagonist, you know, in a film, you know, that's going to be theatrically released. So that that's a, that's a huge feat and definitely something I'm very excited about. I was about to ask, where do you think Resident Evil will go next? But I don't think they've got far else to go apart from this. They did a immersive experience, which I, I wouldn't like to attend if I know anything about the game. You're saying like a VR or... Or augmented yes, reality. I would not like to be in the VR world of Resident Evil. <laughs> they did a Resident Evil 7, though. A Resident Evil 7 came out that was VR. And then there was also the original RE4 was done into a VR mode as well. So it's um it's definitely an experience. But there is the franchise does have a lot of places itself to go. Maybe we've we've definitely touched all the different avenues and platforms and mediums, which is exciting. So that means we're not limited, but it just keeps going as a franchise, so. <laughs> it's interesting to see how gaming, even in like the, this past year, has like reached the zeitgeist with, especially with series such as The Last of Us. Do you feel like more linear games are going to get turned into like blockbuster series? I do think that they are. I know Resident Evil has, you know, been on the on-camera side for a bit. I think the only difference is it didn't stay as canon. I know that the latest RE Resident Evil movie, I think they kind of combined art two and three, but as far as like a whole goes, yes. Because we saw Witcher, you know, Witcher and The Last of Us for sure. I think there's more that I'm totally missing, but Last of Us for me was wonderfully done. And the reason actually is because I think that they stuck to the game. For me personally, anytime they kind of strayed away from the game and took away something from the game versus adding to it, it wasn't as great. But anytime that they just like really stuck to it, for me, it was like such a pleasure to watch. And I do think that we're going to see a lot of that. Oh, uh, Tomb Raider. Lots of Tomb Raider films, you know, have come out. So I do think we're going to see more of it. And I think it we're going to see that the fans really want it to be done in a way that holds true to the game. So as long as they don't take away, but add to that world, 
I think it's going to be very well received and it's going to hit larger audiences that maybe were never into video games originally. So interestingly enough with, you know, how the gaming industry continues to boom and grow, I got asked by BBC World News to talk about this and to talk about how it's becoming so much more understood by audiences that weren't just in the gaming industry and how it continues to grow. So it's pretty wild because I think they said, there's a statistic out there. There's like 365 billion gamers and it just continues to grow. And so I was, I was lucky enough to be asked on to speak about this, but when you see BBC world news, when you see a market that is to, to such an, to an entire world that wants to talk about video games, that should tell you that there's a future in this. That should let you know that if anybody wants to be a developer, if anybody, you know, wants to produce games, writing games, acting games, or any of that, it's not going to stop and it will continue to grow. There's, it literally is one of the only industries that continues to year by year continue to grow, which is wild to me, but also super cool and super exciting. And it's so interesting to me how the gaming industry takes a whole village of, of people to work and run. Not only have you got your voice actors, you've got your writers, you've got your animators, your developers, your, your guys on the sales team, your guys on the recruitment team. It's becoming so much more of a viable industry to be in rather than just a pipe dream. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I think is so, uh, so beautiful. Because let's say, you know, let's say you're in college now and you're like, well, you know, I want to get into marketing. I just don't know what it is about marketing, which direction I want to go, right? Or it's like, well, you know, I think I want to do IT, but like, da, 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 da. you could go within that. All of those fields will channel into, if you love video games, you could go work for a company that works on video games, or you could go work for a, you know, production company that works on film and television and be a part of that. So you can still have that part of you that loves those aspects, but also do it from a different channel that you can kind of tap into. It's very easy to find. You can hear how passionate you are about, about gaming itself as well. I believe you've just wrapped up Insomnia Gaming Festival. For those of you who don't know, how is a gaming festival different to a Comic-Con? The beauty about a gaming festival, which Insomnia was wonderful, by the way, if y'all have not been there before, I loved it. Everyone that came was so great. The whole setup, I think they have like the biggest LAN party two, which was there. And then everyone that worked there on staff was amazing. Okay. So Comic-Con, we're touching all different aspects of pop culture. So we've got, we've got comic books, we've got TV series, we've got, it, it becomes very massive and it's fantastic because you can see all the different aspects of it. But when it comes to a gaming festival specific, which I feel like that's a very specific niche of the pop culture world it is so exciting because you can just have conversations about anything. Like you go to a Comic-Con and like you could talk about a video game and they're like, oh, sorry, I only read comic books. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, cool. You go to a gaming convention and you're like, XYZ game, XYZ game. Yes, yes, yes. Totally know it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm a speed runner and that thing. Oh, I'm, you know, I love MMOs. Like, and that's the kind of really wonderful part. So for me, when I got to go, it was just fun to see like, like really hardcore fans and just like fans of games. <laughs> and when you go to gaming festivals, do you yourself play or are you on panels? So I'm always slammed when I go to any convention, <laughs> any event, doesn't matter what type it is. I honestly, I only have enough time to sometimes not even eat lunch <laughs> because <laughs> 
Because I'm honestly, I'm doing a lot of meet and greets. I'm doing autograph signings. I have a thing called the selfie experience with me, which is very unique to what any other actor I personally have known does. So I'm just going to leave it very vague in case anyone ever visits me. (laughs) So I don't get a lot of opportunities to go check out the floor and see all that stuff. I'm also on a lot of panels. So I typically am doing a couple panels a day as well. So unfortunately, no, but I do stream. So that's where I end up getting my my gamer side of things. (laughs) And what particular games do you stream? Are you still loyal to Resident Evil when you're streaming or do you branch out? So... I am a variety streamer. In case anyone's curious, it's Because I Claire, which is a play on Because I Care, which is a line that Claire Redfield says. I love me some puns. So I I stream a variety of games. I have left it to where I will allow the community and fans to vote on what the next upcoming game is. And when I see them continuously choosing certain types of games, like I went from Resident Evil 7 to Resident Evil Village, to now Resident Evil 4. (laughs) That means after I finish Resident Evil 4, I will be choosing the next game. (laughs) Brilliant. What are you looking forward to playing next? So I have a couple different games in there. I still haven't played Last of Us 2. I've, I've played Last of Us, the first one, like three or four times now. I love that game. I also have, oh my gosh, I have a huge selection of games. I kind of wish I had it next to me and be like, (laughs) would you like to vote on the next game? There's a lot of really good games. Like I played Stray, which was amazing. That was like such a sweet game. I don't know if you know this one that like you actually play as a cat, which I didn't think I was going to enjoy, but it actually was very enjoyable. But I do, I will probably switch it up. I'm not sure yet. I also keep it a bit of a secret. That's part (laughs) of the, part of the charm of my, of my, uh, my stream is you, you never know what's going to happen next. (laughs) It's so refreshing to, to see like someone so passionate about gaming. Like I said, but what is your opinion on diversity within the gaming industry? As when we talk about, about Twitch streamers, about games themselves, often don't have a female lead. And we often don't see female faces or people of color in there either. Yeah, you know, I think that's a thing of the past now. And I can say that because one, I've experienced it. I have personally voiced, you know, different characters that wanted you know, Latinas, you know, so I'm on a game called Larsenots, which is a VR game. And I play Kalima, which is Colombian, you know, so I'm half Colombian and half Spanish. And so I got to represent my Colombian side there. I've also Bora and Paladins is another character that I voice that is more, she was like more like Spain, you know, so she's like a mixture of like Spanish and I would say like Argentinian. And so, you know, that was another character that was represented as Latin. I also, I mean, I can't say certain things, but just from auditions that I personally receive, I have seen a shift. So I know that we're going to be seeing a lot of representation and inclusion within games, especially now coming up. It may not happen right now because there's a lot of them are, you know, it takes about two or three years before it comes out to the public, but you're going to see a big shift. Which is exactly the direction it should be going. I also think it's funny because I think sometimes people have this understanding that the audience sometimes will make it seem like it's, you assume it's only like a, a male dominated audience. There are actually a lot more 
females and just people of, of all, you know, of everything, honestly, coming into the gaming industry, we had a big push lesbian, gay, you know, trans community, you know, within village, there was a lot of love for character lady D. So there's just a lot of representation going on. And a lot of people that I think that maybe felt excluded or didn't know because they didn't feel like they were being maybe represented, or it was like a place that they could be at that now can and are which is beautiful. And I love it because I get to just see it's like a melting pot of humans. And I'm, I'm a big, like, uh, I'm a big, I'm going to just call it human lover, <laughs> That's so weird, but I love anthropology and sociology. So it's so fun for me to see like everyone kind of partaking. Brilliant. Moving on from games. Now you've expanded your, uh, your voice acting to work with both Marvel and Disney. How was it working with uh, gaming studios compared to these large media corporations? I would have to say it's a little bit different to an extent. I do know that with like the larger kind of mediums like, you know, Marvel and Disney, there's a lot more we have to be careful with, with like privacy and secrecy. And so there's like a lot of like hoops to jump through when you work on these projects to kind of protect all of that, which is honestly not that different for me because the gaming side, like everything is under NDAs and secrecy anyway. So I'm like, okay, you just want me to jump a couple extra hoops. But it was super fun. And it's really cool because it is more mainstream, I would say. So if you're not a gamer, it does touch all of the people that aren't. And that for me is really exciting because I get to just be on different platforms and working with Marvel and Disney was fantastic, you know? So uh, I get to, I, I go in with Disney a lot, actually, because I do a lot of their audiobooks too for Disney's Encanto. So I see them all the time and I just, I love it. It's, it's so wonderful. And those groups also tend to kind of, once you're in with them, you're kind of part of the family. So it's it's a really beautiful experience. Do you have any any favorites in the in the characters that you are acting or have acted in the past? Ooh, favorites. Well, I love all my children <laughs> equally. <laughs> uh, I love them all. I really, really do. There are ones that like speak to me personally a little bit more. So I would say obviously our girl, Claire. I also got to do motion capture for the cinematic trailer of Tomb Raider. And I was a huge fan growing up as a kid of Tomb Raider. That was like my franchise. So that was a big deal for me to kind of do mocap as Lara Croft and get to experience that. So that was like, you know, a little kid version of me was like, no way. So, so that was really neat. And then I would say other characters that I absolutely adore. There's a character called Bean in the Bada Bean series that they have it going on right now all over Latin America, like South America and Latin America. If they switch it over, there's like the English version is all, is all my character. I love that character. It is a shame that, you know, it's still in, in this like weird process where it hasn't come out to the U S yet, but that is through Warner brothers and discovery channel. And another character that I loved, that I really loved playing, I also like playing villains too, not just the good guys. So Vora was a lot of fun for me. I got to touch up on a dark side of myself, so. <laughs> See, it's funny that you say that because I always think villains are far more interesting than the heroes. The motives are often a lot better because they have to be given a backstory. It is true. Well, I used to struggle with the idea of playing a villain. Like I always liked them, but I struggled with it. 
until I played D and D and one of my dungeon masters had like automatically given me a villain character. And I was like, I don't know how to deal with this. And then slowly it turned into one of my favorite characters. And I had created like a whole like 30 sequence plan for several months that even my dungeon master didn't know about. <laughs> and I sat down with him one day and was like, so remember when I spoke to, and he was like, are you kidding me? And then that's when I tapped into like my whole villain side. I was like, Ooh, this is fun. <laughs> and do you bring that out when you're voicing other characters as well? Can you, can you tap into the D and D within you? Oh my gosh. Yeah. For me, I, it's so funny. So I used to play quite regularly, probably like once or twice a week. It would be like a Monday. It didn't matter. I was playing, but I looked at it as acting training. I was working on my characters, right? Mm -hmm. And it really was because I love to do it more in like in a role play fashion. So I would, whenever I would speak in character, if my character had a hood, I would put my hood on. Or if my character loved like big chunky jewelry, I would wear a big chunky jewelry that day, you know? And so it was a blast. I definitely, I definitely do channel it. Like there's that character, Genshin Impact is another one that's a huge franchise that I'm a part of that I play Cloud Retainer. You know, that's a character that uh, definitely channels that aspect of it. I mean, I'm an adeptist god who knows all and knows everybody, you know? So, yeah. It's so nice to hear you be so excited uh, about your work. I know you talked about NDAs uh, and upcoming projects, but uh, for your fans, where can we where can we see you going next? Whether that be in person at a gaming festival or upcoming projects. I can talk about Resident Evil Death Island that hits theaters July 7th. That I can talk about, where you can see me, you know, as Claire Redfield. As far as other stuff goes, I just had a convention in Florida. I do have another one that's going to be out of the country, but I can't share the details yet. <laughs> Honestly, the best way to find out whatever is going on is just to follow me on Instagram. That is where I post all of the things that are happening. So if anybody wants to do that, it's under Stephanie Panicello, only one in the world. So it's, gosh, there's not much I can openly share at this time. Well, we'll just have to keep our eyes peeled on your socials and on your Twitch too. Just as a final question, as you know, this is the Student Pages podcast. So if you could go back in time to when you were a student or when you were a teen and offer some advice uh, to yourself for getting into voice acting or anybody who may be getting into voice acting or interested in voice acting out there, what advice would you give them? Yeah. You know, it's so funny because I didn't know that this is what I was going to do because I personally, since I was a child, it's funny enough, I was five years old writing plays for my brothers to act in. You know, I was, I had my own morning announcement show when I was in, you know, elementary school, in middle school, all through high school. I was in every single play. In college, I decided to major in international affairs and political science with a bunch of concentrations in like anthropology, archaeology, philosophy, all that stuff. Maybe because I really liked, you know, Tomb Raider. But anyways, uh, but I didn't know this was what I was going to do. And even in college, I would go and be in all the different, there was a good film school where I went at Florida State. We had a great film school there. And so I would, you know, help out with all that stuff and the acting side. So my advice is, because it, it can be a little scary to make a decision on what you're going to be for the rest of your life, right? I thought I was going to be one thing. I thought I was going to go to school. I was going to go to law school. Then I was going to you know, work for the United Nations and start my own NGO. And that was where I was going. What my thing is, is think about 
what makes your soul happy? Like what brings you joy doing it? Right. So yes, I know for some people it's like, well, this is going to pay me so much money. And look, I get it. If you enjoy it and if your thing that motivates you is making X, Y, Z amount of money so you can do other things and that's what it defines for you, then you should definitely be doing that. Now, if you're doing it because somebody else tells you to do it, don't go for it. You know, listen, listen to yourself. You know way more than you think you know. And if I had personally listened to myself when I was like freaking five, six, seven, eight years old and seen that I adored acting, I actually, to be honest, I wouldn't change a damn thing. I would still do the path that I took though, because no matter what that degree allowed me to see the world in a different way, right? It allowed me to experience the world in a different way. And it's added for me with the acting side of it. It's just added to my life. So if anybody wants to be in the entertainment acting portion of life, just do life. And this is actually what I tell people all the time is like, part of it is just do life. All of those experiences are going to tap into other roles and it's going to make your specific one unique and fresh. So it was a long-winded yeah, I was just thinking like oh, everybody and all, all students, but now I'm thinking if it's just for acting, just do it, do it anyway. Don't question it. Just do it. It's going to be another experience under your belt and you're going to enjoy it no matter what. It'll come back somehow. What a wholesome note to end the podcast on. <laughs> just do it. Just go for it. Just do it. <laughs> I'll be prime minister this time next week. <laughs> All right. I expect, I expect to see this now, Grace. <laughs> it'll, it'll be on the BBC. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Thank you ever so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Stephanie. Uh, I look forward uh, to Resident Evil, even though I will probably be hiding behind a cushion for the best part of it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no worries. You'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> it was you, wonderful Grace. to speak to you. Thank you ever so much. Have a nice day. Thank you. Bye.